Blog Talk Radio. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. is January Jones. She is not a young, beautiful, talented actress on Mad Men. She is not an older, gorgeous, exotic dancer from the Johnny Carson Show. She is an author, and she wrote, Thou Shall Not Wine, The 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. She is a reality TV golf personality with World High Stakes Golf televised on HDNet. She is a humorist and winologist expert. She is your featured host today on January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh and listen to Ms. Jones with her eclectic roster of guests as you learn life's lessons. These stories plus sharing equals success. Welcome and remember, beware. Because you are entering the no-whining world of January Jones. Greetings, everyone. I hope you're having a fabulous day. I'm January Jones, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast today. As many of you know, my new brand is the Glitter Granny, and I wear many hats, as we all do every day. Today, I'm wearing my light blue interview hat. (laughs) The great thing about these hats is once you get them on, you really don't have to fuss with your hair. (laughs) Now, for my listeners, let me ask you a question. Do you have a sibling? Yes. Do you have a brother or sister? Most of us do. Tell me, (laughs) have you ever wanted to strangle them? I think we can all answer yes. (laughs) Now, would you like to meet someone who has walked the walk and talked the talk in the world of siblings and their rivalries? Can you imagine what it'd be like to actually help people to learn how to get along better with their siblings? Tell me, do you wish you could do things over with your brother and sisters? Some of us have regrets, I know. Would you like to meet someone who will share her own experiences teaching other therapists how to deal with sibling rivalry? Let me ask you, have you ever heard of a famous book called Sibling Therapy, The Ghosts That Haunt Your Clients' Love and Work? If you can answer yes or maybe to any of these questions, then you are in the right place. And I'd like to welcome you to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. So now it's time to rest, relax, go get some wine and cheese, and join me in the no wine zone. Now let me tell you a little bit about my guest. She is a family and sibling therapist with a master's degree in social work and a doctorate in consulting psychology. In the 1970s, she became involved in the early movement movement of family therapy identifying herself as a family therapist. 
Over this year, she's incorporated a number of other ways to help individuals, couples, and families, such as she hosts unique retreats for women, for single women, and retreats for adult siblings. She has published hundreds of articles and more than eight books about relationships in general, adult siblings and single women. Welcome to my show today, my dear friend, Dr. Karen Gale Lewis. <laughs> it's a delight to be here, January. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I know. It's so fun to have you. Um, I've been looking forward to this. We, as my listeners will probably figure out during our show, we go back. Quite a few years, don't we, Karen? Quite a few. <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not saying exactly how many. <laughs> well, I won't. You and I don't go back as far as my practice. I've been practicing. This I will tell. I've been practicing for 51 years. Wow. But you and I don't go back anywhere near that. Because listeners, January is nowhere near as old as I. How's that? Okay. Well, I'm sure I'm I'm catching up pretty quickly. You know, 51 years, uh, my husband, Leif, and I, we're celebrating our 53rd anniversary this year. Yeah. Wow. Amazing how time flies, doesn't it? And you're still together. I mean, that, as a family therapist, as a couples therapist, I am always awed that when couples can marry young and stay together all those years. Yeah. All the ups and downs and get through them to the other side and go through some more ups and downs and get through them. And yeah, and the, the remarkable thing about our 53 years is that actually it's a second marriage for both of us. So if we counted our other, our prior marriages, we'd probably have been married for over 60 years. <laughs> so it kind of seems like we were born married. <laughs> <laughs> Some days, some days. Um, let me ask you a question. I haven't talked to you for a while. It's so fun to have you back. How did the pandemic affect you personally? How did it affect your career? What did happen to you during the pandemic? What's interesting, I wasn't affected. Um, my pain tolerance on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being... Um, zero being no tolerance and 10 being I can tolerate anything. I'm on, on that scale, I'm a minus 58. Oh. So I, I still to this day wear a mask. I wear two masks. Uh-huh. So in some ways, I have not been affected at all personally, physically. Okay, physically. I'm really lucky with that. Professionally, what has happened is fascinating because I have run, well, I have been running for since 96 the unique retreats that you mentioned for siblings. And when the pandemic happened, the licensing board said you no longer have to, you can now, you, you can now see people by virtual. You can now yeah. see people virtually, which means you don't have to worry about where they're coming from. Okay. And that made a big difference because for my retreats, I was only getting people who could, afford the t- financially afford the time and the money to come mm-hmm. and fly out for the retreat. But during the pandemic, people were calling me and that's when things really got very, very busy for me. With wow. mm-hmm. And absolutely, I cannot identify that it was because of the pandemic, but the timing, mm-hmm. um, whether it was 
they now could access me uh, since I, if they didn't live in my state where I'm licensed. Um, but I started getting um, calls from siblings literally, I think, on every continent except for Australia. Wow. Australia. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I call it the pandemic pause. And uh, as we went into the pandemic, I had taken a hiatus because I had been doing the radio show for 10 years. And I, at that point, I was doing it uh, six times a week. And I was burnt out, so I said, I'm going to take a hiatus. Well, I intended to just go off the air for, you know, six months at the most. Turned out to be three years. <laughs> <laughs> and then as things moved on and everyone went into this, uh, as I call it, the Zoom Zoom world, uh, at that point I was approached and I decided to come back. I'm back now just once a week. And I do the podcast and it's on TV and I love it because I get to see people all these years. I've been talking to all of you and just hearing your voices. <laughs> yeah, actually, I would now that you say that I was on your radio show years mm -hmm. ago mm -hmm. um, and didn't have the luxury of seeing you in your gorgeous clothes and your gorgeous smile. <laughs> yeah, this has been great. So, okay, we're going to talk about sibling rivalry today, and there's probably all my listeners that have some version of it in their life. How many siblings do you have? I have two older brothers. There are three of us in a four-year period. My mother likes used to, she's obviously dead now, used to say she was pregnant for four straight years. <laughs> But the irony, January, is that I did not start this work in focusing on siblings having anything to do with my own family. Really? Mm -hmm. It started with, I had been a therapist for a number of years at that the point when this one man came in and he had seen other therapists before for being depressed. Um, and one of the things that I, and hopefully most therapists know, if someone is coming to you and has been to other therapists, you don't want to do the same thing that didn't work before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when I was hearing that he was depressed and he'd been on to all these other therapists before, I said, next week, at the end of the session, I said, next week, come in with someone who knows you well. I assumed he would come in with his wife. Uh -huh. yeah. He didn't. He came in with his brother who opened that therapy session opened up a world to me that I had no idea about because normally we don't ask, at least back then, this was in the 80s, mm -hmm. uh, early 80s, we don't ask about siblings unless there's a particular reason. Mm -hmm. So when he brought his, his um, brother, a younger brother, and I started listening to them, and what I learned was how much his behavior was totally focused on what happened in relative to his brother. It wasn't even sibling rivalry so much. It was what mm -hmm. I actually call an unhealthy, what I now call an uh -huh. unhealthy loyalty. Yeah. Can I tell you, do I have time to tell you a little bit about this? Well, first we're going to take a break. And uh, mm -hmm. I have a book. If you are a whiner or know a whiner, you're going to enjoy this break. Lately, there's a whining epidemic in our world. People are even whining about whining. Are you sick and tired of listening to everyone whining all the time? So was January Jones. 
the author of Thou Shall Not Wine, the 11th commandment that reached number one at Amazon.com. Ms. Jones based her book on a survey of the top 10 things that people whine about at all ages and all stages of life. January is a success coach that can tell you how to help others. When you buy Thou Shall Not Wine, the 11th commandment, you'll find out what people whine about and how to stop them from whining. This is the perfect gift book to give or get for any occasion. Thou Shall Not Wine was voted the best gift to be given anonymously for those special people in your life. Ms. Jones is an internationally known author in the style of Irma Bombeck, specializing in housewife humor with her book being published in Korea and China. You can find Thou Shall Not Wine at Amazon.com. Welcome back with my dear friend, Dr. Karen Gale Lewis. I'm so happy to have her on the show. Uh, we had a few mix-ups getting here, but we're here now today. And she is not a whiner because she is truly a winner. Uh, Dr. Karen, could you share with our listeners your contact information and how they can get a hold of you and how they can get your books? Yes, my con- my my name is Dr. Karen Gale Lewis. My email is my initials and my name, so it's drkgl at drkarengalelewis. Because I'm old, the Gale is the original spelling of G-A-I-L. Uh-huh. Um, and my book is available on Amazon. And while the book is titled For Therapists, um, it's actually so readable for everybody. Okay. okay. I want to be clear about that. Yes, yeah. Anyone who has questions about siblings, you know, it's funny because I have, I, I grew up thinking I had one sibling. And then recently uh, I discovered through Ancestry.com that I have a baby brother that I didn't know existed. Really? And, Yes, and he's two years younger than me. And I tell you, when he's perfect because when you don't have to grow up with him, <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about uh, sets of siblings, flesh and blood, that age and the change that happens. You refer to ghosts. You say four concepts. What are the four ghost concepts? Well, let me say first, in order to explain ghosts, that we have two sets of siblings. We have the flesh and blood that you just mentioned, and they're the ones that we live with and that age as we age. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that we that have the, share the same memories that we have and went through a lot of the life by things like stuff in there mm-hmm. while we're still living at home. Yeah. The other set of siblings is what I call the ghosts. And they, like ghosts, are not visible. Um, and they aren't present all the time. Casper, for those of us who remember Casper, the friendly ghost, was not all there all the time. But the ghosts from child, our, our sibling ghosts show up when we bump into something that feels familiar. And okay. the ghosts are either very positive uh, perceptions or positive or negative perceptions that we had from childhood that okay. have not aged. So while my older brother, I always pick on him for talking about this, uh, when he was, um, when he wasn't being uh, mean to me, he was also being wonderful. Mm -hmm. But when he wasn't wonderful, he was also being mean. So in adulthood, 
those are my my flesh and blood memories of him. Mm-hmm. But the ghosts are the ones that when he has that look, at, he's in his 80s. When he has a look on that face, I have this little, ooh, until I remember, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> that's from back then. Uh-huh. But only because I now know that that's a ghost. So part of the reasons adult siblings come, have so much conflict is they bump into their ghosts and they don't know it. That their siblings have changed. It isn't necessarily the same images and the feelings and memories from childhood. It is those memories from childhood, even though the siblings may have changed and grown over the years, probably have. So, um, and you know, it's interesting as as we age, I I have so many memories that are coming to me of when I was really a child. And these are, I mean, subliminal. I'm not consciously trying to pull them out. Why is that, that your mind goes back to your childhood so often? I don't have a scientific explanation. Mm -hmm. But what I do can say from science is that memory is sharper even in Alzheimer's, from way back when, from someone who has Alzheimer's from way back when. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm assuming it's a, around the same thing that we have so many memories. Those of us who have, the longer we live, the more memories we have. Mm-hmm. And the ones that stand out are the ones very often are the early ones that help shape us. Now, I will tell you, though, January, that a lot of people say, I have no memories from childhood. Really? <laughs> I don't remember anything past before sixth grade or anything before high school. Usually, and that isn't, it isn't always true, but you, often when that happens, it's because there were things back there that weren't worth remembering. remembering. Mm-hmm. There could have been traumas, family mm-hmm. discord, a personal mm-hmm. traumas of family discord that the, the mind protects us and doesn't help, doesn't choose to allow us to remember. Um, so it can work either way. Mm-hmm. And you were lucky because you got those memories. Yeah, I do. I have, well, some of them are not all good memories, but I do have <laughs> definitely do have memories. So we were talking about the four concepts, and you said there was the positive and negative concept of those. What else is there? Okay, so of the, the ghosts, there are the uh, frozen images that I, I just described. Mm-hmm. There's the um, crystal, what I call crystallized rolls. Oh. Let me let me tell you about the crystallized rolls. Mm-hmm. You have kids and grandkids. All your listeners either have kids or were a kid themselves, even if they whether they did or didn't have siblings. Mm-hmm. Parents inevitably label their children. And I'm talking labels that you get before the age of six, sometimes before the age of three. There's the smart one, the cute one, the troublemaker, the comic, but, you know, all those labels. When, um, mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with the labels unless it becomes rigid or crystal, what I call crystallized. Okay. At that point, if I'm, I was, in my family, I was the baby. I was the cute baby. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine, except for, and my older brother was the troublemaker. Okay. Which 
would have been fine because he caused some trouble and I was baby and I was cute. But we got, our roles got crystallized. As in most families, the roles get crystallized. And into adulthood, now I can say my brother and I have done a lot of work and he no longer sees me as a baby and I know he's no longer a troublemaker. He's, you know, mm-hmm. so we've come a long way over the, the, the decades. Mm-hmm. But we've worked on it. And for most people, but when they come to me, or even if they don't come, mm-hmm. um, if they're stuck in a relationship, chances are, for your listeners right now, many of you are having a hard time with your sibling. Think about what is the role that you've been identified and what is the role that your sibling was identified? Okay. And has, are you still seeing your sibling as bossy? If you were younger, are you still seeing you're a bossy? Or are you still seeing... 14, there, was a, there was a man that I... I worked with years ago who told me, who used to talk about his sister as irresponsible Jane. <laughs> and I said, I'm curious, why is she called irresponsible Jane? You just told me she has a CEO of her own company. Yeah. So I never, I never thought about it. <sighs> but as a child, we just always called her irresponsible Jane. Now that's a little dramatic that he, that's actually in her, the name that he's called her. But the point is not overly dramatic. Mm-hmm. Most of us hold on to those crystallized roles of our siblings that don't fit anymore, but we still believe them, and that causes problems. How uh, uh, how often do you see siblings? How often do they come in together? Because you, earlier you started talking about someone who came with their brother, which shocked you. And I have, yes. quite frankly, I know a lot of people who have gone to therapy, and I we all we did family therapy with all of our kids, so I guess that would have been a sibling experience. Nope, nope it was not. It was a family experience. There's the difference. Oh, okay. So tell me about how often you see siblings. Well, the way it started was like with the man I was telling you about. I began to notice in my individual clients and in my couples that there were these sibling issues that were causing problems for them individually or within the couple. So I would then say, you want to bring your siblings in and let's work on this. Mm -hmm. That's how it started. During the pandemic is when, for some reason, siblings started contacting me directly. Now, I've always had siblings contact me directly to do the retreat. Whoops. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stepping on the cord. To do the retreat. Yeah. But... I started because I wasn't doing retreats. Now I'm seeing um, siblings who contact me directly. My brother, my sister, my, the 10 of us are having trouble. Um, can you help us? Okay. And so I would say a huge percentage, 80% of my practice right now is siblings. Oh, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. You know, right now, uh, we're going to take a break because, you know, it's been 60 years since the JFK assassination, and people are still asking who killed Kennedy. Let me ask you a question. Are you still wondering who killed Kennedy? Over 50 years later, the assassination is still a mystery. It is unfinished business for our country. Now, get ready for a theory that you've never heard before, but will make more sense than any other conspiracy theory that you've ever heard in the past. January Jones speaks the unspeakable in her book, Jackie, Ari, and Jack. 
The Tragic Love Triangle, connecting Jackie and Aristotle Onassis romantically prior to JFK's assassination. Did you know that Ari was Jackie's guest in the White House during the JFK funeral? He was the only non-family member who was invited by Jackie to stay there during the funeral. Aristotle Onassis was one of the wealthiest men in the world, with the means, the motive, and the money to order an assassination that was the perfect crime of the last century. Ari needed class, and Jackie needed cash. They were perfect for each other. Now, what is Camelot? It is but another tragic love triangle. Jackie, Ari, and Jack is available at JanuaryJones.com, Amazon.com, and Audiobooks.com, read by Ms. Jones. Welcome back. And all of my Kennedy books, all three of them, are at Audible.com now. Uh, We're back with Dr. Karen Lewis talking about sibling rivalry. You know, I think from what I've observed in my 80 years, that when the parents die, when both parents have passed, and then the siblings finally have to sit down and settle affairs, I think a lot of stuff comes out then, doesn't it? A lot of stuff comes out then. A lot of stuff comes out before when the parents are sick. So I often get calls saying, my parents have just died, and our family is, my siblings and I are at, at odds with each other. It's just horrible. Yeah. Whether it's the state or whether it's, whatever they're arguing about, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, of, one of my chapters is specifically on aging parents. And it doesn't really matter what they're arguing about because it goes back to, the, so much of it goes back to the ghosts that I'm yeah. talking about. Um, and yet at the same time, I also get people saying that, our parents are aging and we want to, we don't get along well now. And we want to make sure that when we uh, are, when it's just us, that we can get along better. So we need to work it out. I also get calls from parents, aging parents to say, we are worried. We don't want our, we don't want to die knowing that our kids may not like each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's from all sides. Um, and what I do have found, I, I have a, um, in my book, I talk about a, what I call a um, hourglass pattern of, of, of sibling relationships that they, you're close in childhood, you're less close as you go down to, to middle, to when you start um, starting your family, your careers, you're having life of your own, and then you start like an hourglass, and then you come back out um, as spending more time together at the parents' house when the kids are growing up and they want to meet their cousins and whatnot. But at the end, the bottom line of the hourglass is when they're the closest. So they're uh, close in their adult years and close in the senior years. And they're close in their, their early childhood years and close in their senior years. Mm-hmm. So when I, I came up with that pattern years ago, and what I've noticed which actually reinforces the pattern, which is funny, is that the people who come to me are mostly in their 40s to 60s, really? heading towards, coming out of the, the waist, coming, heading towards that, the, the lower edge of the, the hourglass, when they are going to be close at old age. And they want to sort out this stuff. They want to connect. 
how do you handle this one where everyone thinks their other sibling is mom's favorite? <laughs> well, not everybody. Not everybody thinks mom's his favorite. Um, no, sometimes they all agree that mom, that was mom's favorite. Oh, really? Yes. One of the causes I also uh, have on my webpage a list of uh, 10 causes, just 10. In my book, I have a lot more than 10, but 10, uh, this is a free on the webpage, uh-huh. uh, 10 causes of sibling conflict, and mm-hmm. seven of them have to do with parents. Mm-hmm. The favoritism is certainly one. Yeah. When you are the favorite child, the others don't like you. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, right. But, mm-hmm. but the favorite child loses. Not only do the other kids not like you, but you, okay, you got the parent that you're the favorite. You've lost your siblings who don't like it. And you don't have the parent who isn't the other parent. Okay. Often one sibling, it's always easier to talk about two kids, in a, two siblings in a family than to talk about Ken, which I see lots of large families, but I'll use the example of two. So yeah. if one is mom's favorite, one likely might be father's favorite. So each loses a parent mm-hmm. as well as their own friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've actually had yeah. siblings tell, adult siblings tell me that father said, mom took you, so I I got, so I took you. Mom took her, so this, your sister, so I took you. Oh, wow. <laughs> Leftovers. Yeah, they actually heard that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So what parents do, not just in favoritism, but that's just one, but there's also if parents don't get along and they are fighting, sometimes siblings fight, re- recreate the parents' fight. Oh, yeah, they <laughs> They have role models. With my four kids, I always kind of approached it with that whoever I was with happened to be, will always be my favorite. And it's worked out beautifully because it's amazing how they all find time to be with me. So let me tell you that everything that I talk about, though, January, really gets set in the first maybe six years of life. Oh, really? Wow. Anything that happens later goes we go back, we will find the origins of in those six years, the first six years of life. And that just surprised me so much when I first discovered it, but it over and over, it seems to be reinforced. You know, this makes sense because I mentioned finding uh, a sibling that I didn't know existed. I call him the, uh, we call each other the highlight of our twilight. And we get along <laughs> incredibly because obviously we never shared. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, we have no history. We have to go back and fix or worry about. So but you have a future. No yeah. history, but a future. That's wonderful. Yeah, Where does, yeah. he, does he live anywhere near you? Yes, yes. Actually, I'm in Sarasota, and he's in Ocala. And so we're within two hours of each other. And oh, wow. uh, we, have the, uh, we have the same father but different mothers. And we never knew about each other till oh, three or four years ago. And uh, we're, we're one of those happy stories. I'm sure some of the Ancestry.com stories are not so happy. <laughs> Well, the way you dealt with the shock makes a big difference because yeah. it had to be a shock. To, I mean, it's not like someone called you on the phone, which would be a shock anyway, or yeah. you grew up sort of wondering, but out of the blue on a, from one of these tests. Oh, my yeah. goodness. 
Yeah, and that's happening a lot. I'm seeing a lot of things about it in the news. Um, let's talk about um, sibling transference. That's an interesting topic. Okay. So I like to think about that we marry our siblings. Hmm. And so in, oh. to explain that, let me tell you, again, back in early those early childhood years, um, I think it's those early years as a laboratory for all future adult love relationships because it's the first time, you know, most people say, oh, she married her, her father or he married his, his mother or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mother and his father are on one hierarchy and kids are on another. Siblings, early in childhood, are siblings, so they're on the same hierarchy. And love relationships are the same hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So early childhood is the first time you live with a love relationship where you have to learn or don't learn to fight, yeah. to make up, mm-hmm. to, um, to negotiate or don't negotiate, mm-hmm. uh, to use your power. If you are older, you're going to use your power one way. If you are younger, you may have to find other ways of using your power, like blackmail mm-hmm. or paddling <laughs> or uh, humor. Um, so all the skills that siblings learn in early childhood, how to get along with a love for a person that they live with and love, mm-hmm. are what get absorbed into the, the into them, into their frozen images and crystallized roles and everything else. And so now, when they're an adult relationship, something happens and they go back to a familiar feeling in the middle of a fight. They, with a spouse, they may find themselves, without thinking about it, mm-hmm. all of this is unconscious, they are fighting in a way that feels how they fought back then. They are seeing their sibling. That's the sibling transference. They're seeing their, their spouse as their sibling. Mm-hmm. And now they are fighting back in the way that they fought back then. Now, that's one spouse. You got the other one doing the same thing. So you have a bunch of ghosts running around having fights with each other. <laughs> wow. I, you know, I, I don't think, I definitely know I didn't marry my sibling. I, I've been married twice, and I know I didn't do that two times, but I can see where some people do that. Well, you, it, you do, well let me just explain, January, because it's not full time. You don't marry full time, but when what when the part that doesn't work is persistent, that you have the same kinds of fights over, the same kinds you get into the same feelings of inferiority or whatever it is that periodically come in a in a love relationship, a marriage or a love relationship. Very often, that I will ask the question: Does that feel familiar to when you were a child? So, so it's not like, oh, oh, I'm aware that I married someone just like my, in fact, you, very often you married someone entirely different than yeah. a sibling. But yeah. you bump into these ghosts that have nothing to do with who the person is, but who you, and what you, the memories that you carry and the images from childhood that you see into that person on those moments that there's conflict or idealization. That's the other ghost. It can be an idealized sibling. Mm -hmm. No. Um, Right now, 
we're going to talk about people who are unforgettable and people who have been on my show, just like Dr. Karen. Have you ever met someone who was unforgettable? Someone who has touched your heart and soul? People who have faced difficult problems? People who have struggled to find solutions? People who fearlessly shared their stories? People who have not only informed you, but inspired you. People who have priceless personalities. I have been fortunate to host an internet radio talk show called January Jones Sharing Success Stories. And it has been my privilege to interview hundreds of guests. My guests have shared their stories, their struggles, their secrets, and their successes in their own words. In this book, we're talking about people dealing with problems such as incest, molestation, runaway kids, child abuse, drug abuse, polygamy, unemployment, scandal, and starting over. Then there are my guests dealing with difficult physical struggles such as blindness, cancer, and birth defects that are beyond traumatic. My guests have all been exciting, eclectic, and energizing. They have amazed, amused, and even astonished me. I have adored getting to meet them, and I adore sharing them with you. Attention all listeners. Priceless Personalities, Success Stories Shared by January Jones, Volume 2 is now available at Amazon.com in paperback and Kindle editions. You'll be able to meet 10 amazing people who will be sharing their own personal stories with all their struggles, successes, and solutions sprinkled with lots of humor and hope. Priceless Personalities features a teenager who becomes one of the famous Supremes from Motown, a nurse who has a humorist helps people to heal, an inspiring laughter yoga instructor, a mother dealing with the loss of a child, an incredible motivational speaker, a woman who married five times, a gifted paranormal nurse, a wise economist, a funny female humorist, along with an older man sharing his sweet childhood in the deep south. January's guests are all amazing and amusing. You will never forget meeting them. Go to Amazon.com for your own priceless experience. Welcome back with someone else who is priceless, Dr. Karen. And, and I want to say that you are. You are <laughs> priceless and amazing and very successful, yes. <laughs> well, I think we could start each other's uh, mutual appreciation club. <laughs> um, let, let's talk briefly about unhealthy loyalty. With this, this is of all the the ghosts. So there's frozen images, crystallized roles, the um, unhealthy loyalty we're against you, and then the transference, sibling transference that we just talked about. Oh. The unhealthy loyalty is the most subtle and most un, unrecognized. Okay. And it took me a long time to see it. It's. It's uh, someone's role is very often with sisters and brothers too, but I'll talk about sisters, but we're both girls. So I'll talk about sisters for a moment. Um, If one is the cute one, one is going to be the smart one. Okay. Now, sometimes one is the athlete, but often it is, um, it's more dramatic to see. That's why I like using examples that you can see clearer. Mm -hmm. so if one is the smart one and one is the cute one, let's say the smart one's the oldest one and the younger one is the cute one. Mm-hmm. And remember, uh, roles get uh, assigned in early early childhood. 
early childhood. Certainly by third grade, they're set for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, move into adulthood. The, we're talking about unhealthy loyalty. Loyalty is wonderful in families. There are all kinds of things to be loyal to each other about. But the unhealthy loyalty is when you take a loyalty to your role at your own expense. Okay. So the pretty one happens to be getting a promotion, being offered a promotion and a great job at a time when the smart one is having trouble in her personal in her professional life. Okay. Mm-hmm. It is not uncommon, although it's unconscious, it's not uncommon for the younger one to flub the promotion or turn it down or cause a problem so that she's not offered a promotion because that's my sister's role. She's the smart one. Wow. And so let me tell you, those of our generation, we know as soon as I say uh, Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter had a brother, yeah. almost everyone knows his brother was Billy, who was mm-hmm. an alcoholic. Yeah. You have a president and an alcoholic. Wow. Yeah. We'll never know, because at least I won't, because I've never done research into their childhood, mm-hmm. um, whether Billy actually was supposed to be more successful or whether he never could, whether Jimmy was always the more successful one and he, and he held it. That's the other unhealthy loyalty. I will hold myself back so that my older sibling or whichever sibling is supposed to be the smart one. I will hold myself back so that one stays smart. Wow. Um, I, don't even have to, I don't even have to make myself you know, not strive. I will just hold myself back altogether. Mm-hmm. And so people hold themselves back to avoid competing and to avoid... Without, know, without knowing it. Surpassing. Yeah. Without, yeah, it's more surpassing than competing. Mm-hmm. But as I say, I want to be very clear. This is un. This I've never heard. I've never met anyone who was able to talk about. I did this. Mm-hmm. It only came out as we were talking about it. Yeah, as their as their life plays out. And then you pose the question: Do you take your sibling to work with you? Do a lot of people do that? Well, that's. A part of this unhealthy loyalty. Oh, okay. okay. So okay. let me go back to another simple. We have an older brother and a younger sister. I mean, it could be mm-hmm. any sex. It doesn't really matter. But I'll say an older brother and younger sister. The older brother, usually the older one seen as being bossy. Uh-huh. It isn't always true. But when it is true, it is true. <laughs> so you go to work and your boss or a coworker is bossing you around. Well, my older brother wasn't bossy. We had other issues. He wasn't bossy. So I wouldn't have a problem with a boss or a coworker who's telling me what to do because I would think they're just telling me their opinion or they're telling me what I need to do. If it's a boss, he's telling me what I need to do. And if it's a coworker, he or she is just saying, you know, her opinion. Mm-hmm. However, if I was, if I had a bossy older sister, I in I've held on to that frozen image of my sister or brother. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at work and the boss tells me what to do and I am really angry. Mm-hmm. Or I'm very compliant. 
It could be either. Yeah. A coworker bosses me around and I could be, I will hear it as bossy. But other people who don't have a bossy sibling don't hear that, won't hear it as bossy. Okay. So it's your experience that you bring and you put on, you transfer on to your coworkers and your boss. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. basically what you're saying is your childhood creates echoes that come through your adult time. And yeah. a lot of this influences how you act and how you perceive life. Exactly. I love the word echo. I use ghost, but I could have just as used as well used echo. Yeah. Um, and you don't know it. But if you have a pattern, if you see a pattern of always being self-sabotaging at work or always being underachieving. You know, I, I write about one man who um, he did very well as an architect, mm-hmm. but never great. <laughs> and one of the things we discovered was his sister. Okay. Only, only because I asked. If I hadn't asked, in fact, when I usually ask, they say, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Well, Let's just find out anyway. Okay. okay. Sorry, our interview, our podcast is coming to an end. This is a question I always ask all my guests. If you could have dinner with anyone, a living or past, uh, besides me, who would you invite to dinner? You just took away the one I was going to say. <laughs> I say you. I'm busy that night. <laughs> Well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to answer that because I don't want to make this political. And I'm afraid if I answer it, it would come out being seen as political. Okay. Uh, because they're, the people that, that I'm thinking about that I, I could pick any one of them, they happen to be in the political world. And that isn't my reason mm-hmm. for liking them. But mm-hmm. as soon as I were to say the name, I would no. be seen as being no. a political person. And, and so... Why don't you and I both try to get together? And how about if we invite Abraham Lincoln? (laughs) That would be a great idea. (laughs) Although there's a play coming to Washington about how his head was stolen. Oh, dear. Uh, (laughs) So we have to have lunch before his head was stolen. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Well, for my dear listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our time together as much as I've had. We have tried to be informative and inspiring. Next Tuesday, live at 2 p.m., looking forward to having Felicia Searcy, who is the premier results expert, who she'll be visiting with us. Now my 80-year-old thought for the day. At my age, getting lucky means walking into a room and remembering what I went into the room for. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There you go. Signing off from the Glitter Granny. Thank you very much to Dr. Karen Lewis-Scale. Thank you so much for coming into the Wine Zone. No Wine Zone with us. Please share our stories with everyone you know. And remember, you have to stop whining, and then you have to start smiling. And then if that doesn't work, you can just start eating chocolate, lots and lots of chocolate. <laughs> and thank you, dear friend, Karen. So nice having you with us. Yes. My listeners, 
Take care and stay safe until we meet again. We want to thank you for listening to January Jones Sharing Success Stories. Always remember Ms. Jones' personal mantra, if you can think it, you can do it. That's what all of our guests have done with their lives, and so can you. You are the ultimate success coach in your own life. All you need to do will be to start sharing your own story with your family and friends. We hope that our guest stories will encourage you to explore an equation in your future that will combine your creativity, plus connecting with others will enable you to be successful too. Always remember, your passion plus your purpose will equal prosperity as you explore the wonderful world of January Jones.
Oh, if she's in there with somebody who's been with Mary Joe, and when she 
Thank you. 
Okay. 